As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, international football returns at the end of a long season. Will England experiment under Gareth Southgate and use the success of Manchester City to propel themselves towards glory next summer? We'll be discussing huge matches for Steve Clark and Scotland as they look to back up their great start to qualifying. We'll talk about the impact that Jude Bellingham could make in a Real Madrid shirt, look ahead to our dream transfers for the summer and a quick glimpse at the opening games of the Premier League season. This is The Game. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. Plenty for us to discuss today, but we begin with the return to Euro 2024 qualifying this week. We're exhausted, you're exhausted, the players are exhausted, and yet here we are. Um, England face a trip to Malta on Friday before they host North Macedonia at Old Trafford on Monday. Two matches that we really expect to be mere formalities, but as always, there are some interesting subplots to discuss. And, and, and as I say, mere formalities, clearly the English arrogance is back, so a 2-0 defeat to Malta would be a pretty big story, and, and maybe we'll be reacting to that, so I won't count it out of the list of possible outcomes but um to help us discuss England of course Henry Winter our chief football writer joins us hi Henry hi Hugh hi Gregor hi Tom how are we all good Henry ready ready and waiting I don't know about about you but unlike uh, Hugh I'm delighted that English football (laughs) is still continuing into June yeah it's like one of those hammer house of horror bodies that sort of refuse to be buried (laughs) the season keeps on popping up you know we, we started the ashes and <laughs> unruly and disrespectful as ever is still trying to hog the headlines. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, listen, England, I think, maybe will go under the radar slightly due to the opposition we're facing, but ultimately, if England take anything less than six points from these two games, it will be a pretty big story. How have England prepared? And I, I wanted to ask you really about the Manchester City players returning from that Champions League win, the treble victory, Uh, off the back of what seemed to be a three- or four-day bender, depending on which player you choose, does that mean that we might see an experimental side against Malta and some of the unfancied names, if you like? I would be surprised if any of the five Manchester City players are playing, like Calvin Phillips could probably do with the game. I think it's brilliant they've been off celebrating. I mean, you know, what a, what's the, I mean, Greg was played the game. The game is about winning. The game is about trophies. You know, people talk about records and things like that. Records can be broken, but a treble is... Treble is just a fact you can't take those medals away, those trophies away. So I think it's fantastic to see Jack Grealish just loving the moment. And Jack is being Jack. So, you know, he, he returns, what was it, two nights ago to, the, uh, to, to St. George's Park. Probably had a bit of an early night, a lot of coffee at breakfast, and then getting into a training. And if you saw that Harry Kane picture that he posted 
uh, on Twitter early this morning about him presenting the three or four players who've been with him on the start of his his journey to, to the England goal scoring record, who are still in the England squad, so Henderson and Trippier, Maguire, people like that. Then I've, behind them was a very fresh faced, a very clear eyed, a very ready for action Jack Grealish. So he'll probably start on the bench and he'll be annoyed because he'll want to get on. So, I, you know, I think it's fantastic, and they're bringing that buzz into the. In, into the, uh, the, the the dressing room. Obviously, Bakar Saka will be disappointed because he didn't win in Ramsdale because they didn't win the title. But that buzz around there, that experience they've got, that's learning under clock. And this is where... So people say this game is not particularly important. England will probably win 4-5-0, which is fine. North Macedonia is going to be tougher, but they'll probably win that at, at, at Old Trafford. But what the narrative now is, is that Southgate has got this unbelievably talented squad. Okay, Jude Belling's not here, he's just signed to Real Madrid for £88 million and he's a teenager. Uh, you've got Jack Grealish, £100 million. You've got James Madison, who'll probably go to Newcastle or Spurs for sort of £40, £50 million. This is an incredibly talented squad. So if the pressure is on anyone, it's on Southgate to turn this team, all these fantastic players who are so well coached by a Klopp, by Arteta, by a Pep, He's now got to show that he can get them over the finishing line. So anyone who says this is not serious, this is not an important game, this is not part of England's development process, is being a little bit naive because the road, not simply to Germany, but to Berlin, because England have to get to the final, otherwise Southgate will be perceived as a failure. I still think we might see a massively changed England side, though, from what we might expect it to be, even without the Manchester City players I'm hoping the likes of Eberie Eze get a chance. The Crystal Palace number 10 has been speaking to the media a little bit earlier this week. How likely are we to see him in an England shirt in these two games? And how do you think he may be deployed by Gareth Southgate? Yeah, well, the first one we learned about him is how to pronounce his name. And it's Eze, which which I I, I didn't realise. I thought it was Eze and it sort of rose on the... uh, you know, on the final syllable. So, look, um, we're learning more about him. We're seeing how good he has been with Crystal Palace. I think you're right. I think we'll definitely see him, that energy, just bring something a little bit different. This is what you see. This is important because this is all about preparation for Southgate to to, uh, pick his squad. Because when the season starts, the manhouse of clubs um, football resumes. England were flying out as the Premier League fixtures were were being released for next season. You know, it's, it's relentless with the Premier League. Champions League, Europa League, European Conference League. So there's all that to go on. So Southgate really needs to be giving individuals like Eze a chance now. And if he seizes that, then he's going to be more advanced on the road to Germany. But this is Germany's very much in England's sights here because they know they're going to qualify because they've got the quality and they've already got the points, pretty much the points. So, yeah, it, he, he, will, he will definitely feature. I'd like to see Madison give him a chance to, to, to show what he can do as a, as a number 10. But I do think we're going to see a lot of the familiar faces. You know, we'll see a Harry Maguire. We will see, you know, Harry Kane will want to play every game because um, he wants to sort of extend the record. So uh, I, th- I think you're right. It'll be a mixture with, you know, a fair few maybe newer faces coming off the bench. Henry, do you think there's any chance that we'll see any kind of evolution in terms of the way England play? We've seen Trent Alexander-Arnold... Step in from fullback into midfield. We've seen John Stones do something either from fullback or centre half. Do you think there's any chance, perhaps in these games, that we'll see some of these tactics adopted by Southgate? It's a really good question, and we we asked Southgate about Trent Alexander-Arnold because Southgate went to the Leicester game, which was just before 
uh, sorry, the Liverpool game at Leicester, which was just before the score got announced, and we asked him about that. Is this an opportunity? On the bet, I mean, I put it to Southgate. Said um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best passer in your squad, and he slightly demurred. He said, "Well, James Madison, and there are probably others who." But for me, Trent, I think if England are going to win the tournament, you've got to get Trent in there somehow. He's not going to get in at right back because I imagine Reese James will start when fit. He's got Kyle Walker. He's got Kieran Trippier. Got Rico Lewis coming through. John Stones has played there, but he's playing midfield. Sorry, in defence and, and pushing into midfield. But I think this is the game to try Trent in midfield. I mean, I think there's some people around the England camp who would quite like to see England in a 4-3-3, obviously. But you know, that midfield three to be Bellingham, Rice and Alexander-Arnold because of that passing range he's got. There's a great balance in, in those three. So I'd like to say he's played a half there before, maybe give him a longer half, uh, so a longer game. The, the issue was whether he steps from right back into midfield. I think you just play him as a midfielder in that, that situation because England got so much strength at right back. Your John Stone's question is, is, is right. I mean, he's probably in the top three, five defenders in the world at the moment. But Southgate is cautious. He'll play him alongside Harry Maguire. And then whether he's, you know, obviously can't the first game because you imagine he's going to be rested. But going forward, Stokes' ability to step into midfield, which then releases another player to sort of step forward. I think, I don't think Southgate's as brave as Guardiola. So I, 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 I would love what you're getting at, Gregor. I would love to see, but I still think there's an element of caution which might preclude some of it. I just think of when Spain was so successful that period that they won three major tournaments and you think about the quality of Barcelona and yes I get it so many of that Spain team played for Barcelona and it was easy to lift the tactics and the style and the approach because that's what was being drilled into them during their weeks with their club but you almost see this the success of Manchester City even Liverpool pushing Trent Alexander towards the the back end of the season into that kind of right back that moves into midfield role saw John Stones do it brilliantly, that you almost think it's kind of, you know, it's almost incumbent on Southgate to try it. Because if he can translate what's happening at Manchester City to the England team, it would probably give them a better chance of elevating themselves. Am I wrong? But then if you're going 4-3-3 and your argument, which I understand, using a block of club players, treble winners, European champions, are you really going to start Jack ahead of Marcus Rashford on the left. I mean, Rashford scored 30 goals. I know some of them were through the middle. I would start Rashford. I just think he's a he's a fabulous player. He's got the pace that can stretch. He can go on the outside, cut in. There's so much, got so many strengths to him. I think he starts ahead of Grealish. Whether Southgate would then say, right, we're going to play all these five. We then play Foden on the right, Walker at right back. Stones, uh, Phillips is not going to get in there, although he's England Player of the Year two years ago. I, I would be surprised if Southgate did that. I think it would be a mixture of the clubs. But in terms of Trent, I would love to see Trent given that chance in midfield. And Malta away, I mean, I have been talking to one of the locals last night and he said, minimum 7-0. If it's not 7-0, you lot should be ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, you, you mentioned Harry Kane giving kind of broken records to his teammates to, you know, helping him break the records on the way. It was a nice thing to see him give those gifts. Not sure about the gift itself, but at least he was paying tribute to the teammates that helped him uh, on the way. Uh, We'll be talking about Jude Belling in a moment, his move to Real Madrid. But, um, you know, there is a question mark over Harry Kane's future now. 
And it seems like reports this week Manchester United aren't prepared to pay the money that Daniel Levy wants, although we'll see if that's an opinion they change by August the 31st. But um, do you expect Harry Kane to be staying, firstly, in England? And secondly, is there any chance that any of this will distract him? Well, no, nothing will distract Harry Kane, although it's interesting he's not doing the media duties with Southgate at the Takali Stadium later tonight, Kieran Trippier is. So I don't know whether that means that Kieran's going to be captain. It doesn't always mean that. It might just mean that Kane is playing, is captain, but he's just not doing media duties. So, yeah, I, I think if Harry, Harry Kane, if obviously the Mbappe thing's complicated with the, the Real Madrid situation, if Mbappe is available, you would assume Real Madrid would go for them. PSG, you know, they're not going to let him go for nothing in a year's time. They want to sell him for a huge sum now. But if Harry Kane has got a chance of going to Real Madrid, this is Real Madrid. And if the alternative is staying at Tottenham Hotspur, who are not in Europe, you've obviously got a new manager who will probably do well. He's a very charismatic individual. Everyone talks very highly of, of Postacoglu. But, you know, at some point you've got to move out of your comfort zone. Tara Kane. I've, I've written a, a couple of times on this and I just think he, he, he needs to make that step. I know Harry Kane family is so important for him, four kids, they're settled, I understand all that. But actually, it's good for your kids to take them abroad. I mean, okay, being very selfish, my, my parents stopped me at school in Paris and in Munich. They said, right, go over there, learn a language, grow up up age 13, age 15, 16 for the, for the second one. It's really important to do that for your own personal development, for your kids' development, for your own development. And look at look at Bellingham. Isn't it fantastic what he's doing? At what well, he went to Germany at 16, was speaking languages, speaking the language within sort of four or five months, and they sort of semi-captain. Now he's going to spend, I bet he'll be, I think he's being unveiled today, and I think he'll, I bet he'll be speaking a little bit in Spanish already, and he'll be speaking Spanish fluently by Christmas. You've got to go and challenge yourself. I mean, with great respect to Tottenham Hotspur, they're probably not going to finish in the Champions League this season. So Harry Kane is, what, 29, 30, turns 30 this summer? Mm. He's got to make a big decision. And with respect to his family, Katie's just, uh, you know, is an amazing individual and they're a great family unit with her parents, his parents. I get all that. But at some point, he's got to think about his legacy. And records are great, but medals are better. And he needs to go. If he's got even a small chance of going to Real Madrid, he should should push that. The, the Manchester United thing, he could obviously settle in there. I don't, I mean, Greg will play the game, but I don't, I don't understand this obsession with a Premier League record. With, you know, he wants to sort of equal shifts. He could actually go to Spain for two, two and a half, three years and then come back and have sort of two years in the Premier League in his mid-30s and then break the record. But really, he needs to be, a player of Harry Kane's qualities needs medals. He needs to fill that trophy cabinet. So, look, that's just a sort of personal thing. I just think that he needs to be stronger. He's obviously got to deal with Dan Levy. Levy would obviously prefer to, to, to send him abroad rather than to, to Manchester United. But I just think he, he needs to leave because it's it's a critical time in his career. He's beginning to drift. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. Henry Winter, been a pleasure to hear from you as always. Thank you. My pleasure. OK, uh, let's talk next about someone who's actually shown up to the England camp who's injured, not even going to play in the two games, but is, an, is already at 19 years old a legend. And who knows, uh, by the time his career is over, could really etch his name into history because he's got a huge opportunity now. Jude Bellingham signing a six-year deal 
at Real Madrid. Leaves Borussia Dortmund for a fee uh, that could be as much as £115 million. We all know he came out of the academy a couple of years ago at Birmingham City. Burst onto the scene in Michael Richard style, if you like. But his career is, is you know, it's like a PlayStation game. I mean, it's a, what a ridiculous tra- trajectory. To turn down Manchester United, firstly. To Don't turn be down. Don't no, be no. <laughs> this, is, this is, I think, the one of the greatest decisions a young player and, and their family, clearly, because his parents and his, his dad in particular, kind of uh, in charge of him, uh, have ever made, really. Because they turned down Manchester United to go to Borussia Dortmund to help his development, to make sure he got game time. And within two seasons, he's a Real Madrid player for £115 million. And um, he has, like I say, a huge opportunity to join the midfield, the next generational midfield of Real Madrid, alongside Aurelien Schwemeni, if he stays at the club, Eduardo Camavinga, they've got Federico Valverde as well, and then other youngsters in the team, Rodrigo Vinicius Jr., and the chance to build what could be an incredible team for many, many years to come. So really, it's just, uh, the question is essentially, how much of a legend do you think <laughs> Jude Bellingham could, could go on to be? Well, it'll be fascinating, and Tom Roddy has done an excellent, excellent piece that we um, published yesterday when the news came up about Bellingham being confirmed, talking to the likes of Jonathan Woodgate and looking at by, like the idea of British players going over there and some of the players who've struggled, some of the players who've succeeded, and it's particularly interesting some of the insights from Woodgate. He talked about when he moved there, he spoke to Steve McManaman, a player who'd done very well and he's widely regarded as a bit of a cult status, isn't he, amongst Madrid fans. There was the videos doing the rounds of when the BT team were in Madrid and Maca being mobbed by all mm. these Madrid fans. Scored in two Champions League mm. finals, didn't he? It's going to yeah. help. It definitely it? <laughs> helps. It definitely helps. But what is interesting when you say it's going to help is that his advice to Woodgate was don't worry about too much about the football. Learn the language, embrace the culture, and they will love you for that which when we think about some of the things and the struggles that Gareth Bale had, didn't matter how many trophies he won because he went and played golf and didn't necessarily embrace the culture, he struggled. So the reason I make that point is because you talked about his uh, Bellingham's upbringing, some of the people he's got around him, you kind of get the sense that this is a very well thought through move and you can imagine the young man who's shown incredible maturity so far in his career on and off the pitch, you can just see him doing exactly that, embracing the culture, learning the language, becoming a massive part of Madrid and Spain in, in itself and really bedding in for a couple of seasons. And as you say, Hugh, it's, it's interesting in terms of the football on the pitch, isn't it? With that midfield, feels like they're in a bit of transition. They've still got the kind of the old great and good of the midfield legends from down the last few years. But all, all that in mind, and I was reading Tom's piece, which is an excellent piece, so you should go and read it if you can. It did make me think that this is probably a very sensible move, if that sounds doesn't sound too strange for a, for a young man going all the way to Real Madrid. The other thing that Woodgate said was, he's, he said, I was a kid when I went there, and, and Bellingham's a man, and mm. he was 24. Yeah. <laughs> so he, like, he admitted, he openly admitted, he said, like, he's, he had, he's got a totally different mentality to me. He's more grown up, he's been captain in Dortmund already. So that that's the thing that we're, we, we said it before when this, the news was breaking about this, that you kind of have a very, you know, you look at the list of, of players who've, who've uh, you know, British players who've, who've gone over to play at Real Madrid and McManaman was a, a success. Gareth Bale was, although we know about all the issues. It's just, you've you've complete confidence that Bellingham will go there and be a success. And part of all of that is to do with his mentality. We know about his ability, but, you know, all these players had, had ability. They were signed for a reason. It's about going there and kind of coping with the scrutiny and the, you know, as, as Woodgate 
said in this piece as well, the, the, the feeling that you actually have to win every single game, it's almost a crisis if you don't. He will cope with all of that. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be a player that's going to crumble under pressure. He's actually posted on, on social media yesterday saying, I joined as a 17-year-old at Dortmund as a boy and I'm leaving as a man. So <laughs> for me, I mean, I'm not that old, but or at least I think I'm not. But, but <laughs> 19 years old is probably still a boy, you know, in my eyes. But um, it's interesting what he described as, as, you know, the things that he takes away from it, the opportunities, he experiences, highs, even lows. But he says... All of it has been part of what has been a great development, both as a human and a player. So, you know, Jude Bellingham, a kid from Birmingham, you know, he's, you know, he's 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 a worldly man already. Mm, but that's what makes that's what fascinates me about about Bellingham and his kind of the trajectory so far. And we talked about it when we were um, speculating and hypothesizing about where should he go and where will he end up and things. It does seem to me like this is it's similar to Erling Haaland in a sense. You know, there's the full thing is mapped out for them, and it's interesting they both use Dortmund as the stepping stone. Because I, I, I've said I said it previously, I wouldn't be surprised whether there was some. It won't be a swap deal, but there'll be an idea in Bellingham's head that I will have the Premier League at some point. And it's not that this move to Real Madrid is the be all and end all. He will like to go to Real Madrid for for a long time, be a legend, win it all. And then I'll move on and do something else, and I'll be England captain. And it, it will all—it feels all mapped out to me. That certainly seems. It feels like a goal. It's written. It's, yeah, you know, the it's thing, scribbled the, on the, the wall in the study at home, like <laughs> right next tick. You know. You see, the thing about Real Madrid is, if Real Madrid want you, you stay. That's true. Absolutely. So the, although it's kind of in your mind that I can come to the Premier League, you know, if they don't want me, and I get that. I think he has the opportunity by joining at 19 years old to, you know, if he one day, you know, matures, captains the club, you know, he ingratiates himself in the in the society, in the culture, you know, we could be seeing, you know, a genuine English Real Madrid legend and looking back on his career in 10 or 15 times saying, wow, what a journey that was. To be honest, I'd rather see that because I've never seen that before. Mm. You know, I've seen lots of good English players in the Premier League and be legends of Premier League clubs, but we don't have an English true Real Madrid legend. You know, I mean, personally, for me, by the way, you know, Jude Bellingham, who is a mixed heritage kid from, you know, one of the big cities in, in England, but, you know, an inner city kid, essentially, to already be at Real Madrid, the pride is just, uh, uh, I can't even describe it right now. Mm. Like, if Jude Bellingham can stay at Real Madrid and win the Champions League and win those big trophies, it is for kids from this country, from that background, from that upbringing, unbelievable yeah. to see that. You know, just to see him sign is one thing, but like I say, to see... Firstly, whoever decided to release the new kit on the same day is an absolute genius because I, I was straight on there. Bellingham, 22, cheers. You um, do love a kit, though. You've I, got I, far I, too many shirts. I, I don't think you can count that as genius in your eyes. I do, I do. I bought a Red Bull Salzburg shirt last week. So, you know, it's not it's not exactly fine company. But, you know, I think he represents so much Jude mm. Bellingham now already. And the fact is, there are other players who've represented a lot. And you think of the likes of Raheem Sterling, for example, and huge pressure applied to Raheem Sterling during his younger years whatever it might be people thought he shouldn't have left Liverpool goes to Manchester City huge pressure applied from England we're talking about from the media uh, from fans etc you know again I know it sounds bad and we probably shouldn't say it but Jude Bellingham being away from England is also important mm. in this and and they recognise it I know it sounds bad yeah. you know we talk about English football every day we live here you know mm. but 
ultimately he will have huge pressure at Real Madrid and all that comes with playing for that club. It's not that he's going to a place where there's no pressure, but the pressure that's applied to young English players in this country is totally different. Do you, you not know, think that'll be in relation to some of the things you said about you know becoming a legend and we've not seen that yet we've not seen the young guy go and you know d- d- dynasty 10 years at Real Madrid do you not think that's a slight bit of pressure as well I mean no I'm, again I'm not saying that he's going to a, a non-pressurised environment but in this country the pressures are Jude Bellingham went on holiday with his mates mm. you know the pressures are Jude Bellingham's wearing a designer outfit there might still be a he's bit bought, of that. He's, 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 I don't think he can avoid that he's anyway, bought himself a nice car no no listen I, Listen, I'm not saying. Still an England I'm not. I'm, well. Yeah, but I'm not saying that people won't highlight those things. But in this country, we are going to see. We we try. Listen, tabloid newspapers in this country will take the angle of huge negatives on those points, as they have with other players, whatever it might be, a tattoo or buying your mum a house or whatever that might be. And all I'm saying is, there will be fewer of those stories. I'm not saying they won't be picked up really picked up by British newspapers because he's kind of out of the way. It's not to say that they won't be picked up, but in terms of the news cycle, they'll probably hit Spanish news and then we'll maybe pick up it on, on it 24 hours later. And then, to be honest, most of us have already seen it on social media. So is it a big deal? No, as opposed to what it might be here, which is front page of yeah. X or Y paper. Interesting you talk about the kind of the heritage aspect and you know where he came from. A huge day for Birmingham City as well, as uh, Paul Joyce and Matt Lawton reported. Six million quid. That's a nice little boost for the transfer funds. Just on the on the idea, because you, you make some excellent points, you, Greg, I can remember, and this is the perks of being the editor and remembering all the commissioning that we've done over the years. When he was at Birmingham, you spoke to lots of people and did pieces about Bellingham. Do you think that that kind of young kid, is there a, still a bit of that young kid in there? Do you, or do you think some of the things that you know Hugh and I are talking about in terms of pressure, it'll just be all completely, he'll be completely chilled? I think the thing is maturity has always been the first thing anyone has ever cited that you've spoken to, like even when he was 14. And it's the same, I think the, the Dortmund manager called him the oldest 18-year-old, that was one of his lines, the oldest 18-year-old in the world. And he's always wanted to kind of, he's always seen the next kind of goal and always strove for it and, and nothing has detracted from, from that aim. But the thing, you know, it, there were so many things, I watched him at Birmingham, lots, um, and I, I didn't see this. I'll be totally honest, I didn't see this. I saw someone who was like a, a ridiculous athlete for that age and clearly had like immense confidence and belief that he could play in, you know, at 15-16 against adults in the championship. But I didn't see the kind of the extent to which he can now actually kind of drag his team by the scruff of the neck towards victory to kind of really take control of a, a game at the very highest level. I didn't quite see that. All his coaches and everyone said, yes. He will go all the way. He'll play. He's a Champions League level footballer. I didn't quite see it at Birmingham, but then I remember speaking to. I think I've said this before. I was speaking to Pep Clotet, who was his manager at the time, and he said that he'd grown two and a half centimeters. This was in like kind of around Christmas time. He'd grown two and a half centimeters since the start of the season. And you're like, oh yeah, he still actually is a boy now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, so like he was still you know really developing at that time. But the thing when you spoke to anyone, it was always his maturity. He referenced his his parents, his upbringing. Just how he's he's such a good kid, basically, and you you see that we've seen that in every interview, we've seen it in everything he's done so far, and that's why he's able to handle. That's a big reason his upbringing is is a big reason why he's mm. able to handle this. I think one of the important things for Bellingham as well, and I know this will also sound strange, you know, in terms of the pressure, he's not a forward. I know that sounds, but but he doesn't have to go and score twenty goals next season mm. or thirty goals next season. He doesn't even have to go and create. No, like no, 15 no. or whatever, you yeah. know. I'm sure he will create goals and he'll score goals, but 
he's because he can do everything because he's such an all rounder and like so dynamic and can cover all the midfield uh, roles. It's like you'll see him doing a bit of all of these things, and it's just so eye catching. It'll be fascinating to see, and we've got Tom on there for the presentation today, so by the time you're listening to this, you can read uh, online, I'm sure, Tom's kind of piece about the day. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what the kind of Real Madrid furore is for mm. Jude Bellingham. Do you know what I mean? You know, we see it so often down the years, the kind of all the fans there, the kick-ups, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be fascinated to see what, what the tone is of this, because I do wonder whether there's a bit of like, huh, you know, Teenage English midfielder who's pretty good from Dortmund. I don't know. I don't know. Or, well, or whether well, they've quite yeah. got the like excitement that we have yeah, for yeah. it and for him as a player. I don't know. Because, yeah. you know, they're, they're I mean, they have spent £100 million pounds on a young, up and coming central midfielder that maybe like comes a year a bit before. So the Real Madrid fans are going to be like, we have, we do this, do this quite regularly. How excited are we? But I think Bellingham, he does have a hype around him across yeah. world and European but, football. But I think that's a valid point. He doesn't have the, the brand of, of David Beckham. He no. doesn't. You know, he's not like a, a Ballon d'Or winner or a goal scorer like Mike, Michael Owen. He's not starry. Yeah. He's not really like, he's not even like a, it's not a, tri- even like a tricky social, He's not like an Eden Hazard. He's not like a, a creative and all that winger kind of stuff, or anything. You know, yeah. the kind of TikTok reels and stuff. Just because, you know, and you talked about it there, you both did with the goals and the assists. He's the all-round player, but you need to almost watch 90 minutes to be like, God, this kid's amazing. You just you need to watch. You just, you just see his full, impact. Yeah. His impact on the game. He's impactful. He's not. He's not like flashy or kind of. Mm. You know, he doesn't pull off a trick that you go, "Wow." I mean, he can, but it doesn't do it frequently. Yeah. It's his impact on the team and and essentially helping them win. Watching, <laughs> watching Luka Modric in the Nations League last night, I was just like, "Please, Jude, just stick with this guy." <laughs> I just want you to honestly man mark this guy in not not in a football sense, but yeah. just stay with him. Learn as much as you can from Luka Modric because this is a midfielder Modric that England have missed for the last, you know, whatever it is, 15 years, that kind of player. And just think if he can pick up elements of Modric's game in terms of setting the tempo. One of the great things about Modric, of course, is he's able to do that, but also he gets around the park. You'll just see him pick up the ball in a space where you thought, is he meant to be there? You know, that's what you want Bellingham to be able to do to really impact every part of the game. He, He has the ability, clearly. I know it sounds weird, he just needs to mature. And that's really weird, isn't it? We've been talking about his maturity. But yeah, if he can take some steps forward, I mean, it would be remarkable. And to think that his six-year deal will take him up to 25 years old, it's another scary thought as well, of course, because Modric, uh, 37 is he now? And the way that he played last night, he could stay there for another four or five, couldn't he? He's unbelievable. I was, I was, you know, the point Tom started with it, I was also intrigued to see the length of the deal because it could have been eight could have been, you know, who who knows? There's, that's the kind of trend as well now. But you know, that means that, like, in four years' time, that's when there is kind of there's a decision to be made and whether he might, you know, because I still do want to. I know you said it's great. This is great. This is brilliant for for Belling. It's brilliant for English football. He's gone to the biggest club in the world. I still still a part of me wants to see him in the Premier League one day. Yeah, I mean, I I do want to see that, but I would prefer to see him be a Real Madrid legend because we've never seen it. And again, like I say, I know it's I know it's it's very very personal as well, but of course, and they have had great black players, you know, at Real Madrid, but he's a black English player at Real Madrid. And you just can't minimize the the, the size of that football club in any way. It is the biggest thing in football full stop across the world. So if Bellingham is there wearing the armband and lifting trophies, for me, as I say, a black person from this country, it will mean much, much more than him lifting even a Premier League trophy for the club that I support, in my eyes, honestly. So we'll see. 
if Jude uh, is as good <laughs> and great as we've just projected him to be or if he's playing for Burnley next season in the championship <laughs> we'll find out okay that's it all wrapped up on Jude Bellingham um, still more to discuss when it comes to international football so we'll return to the conversation with Michael Grant and Scotland next we will a little bit later on be discussing the opening games of the season we'll look ahead to our dream transfer window as well this is the game podcast remember if you don't want to miss an episode just hit that notification button as you're listening to me Daisy Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let's continue our journey through the Euro 2024 qualifiers we've got coming up, and it's a big week for Scotland. Two wins from two so far in Group A. They're top of the table, ahead of Spain, actually. But they have a huge game next, away in Norway on Saturday, who they currently have a five-point advantage over in what is a possible battle for second spot in the group. Who knows? Scotland could top it and it won't matter. But I guess when the group was drawn, Norway were their big rivals for that second spot with the assumption that Spain would top the group. Obviously, it hasn't gone to that way so far, but still a long way to go. Scotland then uh, hosts Georgia next on Tuesday. Let's speak to Michael Grant, Scottish football correspondent at the Times, who joins us. Hi, Michael. Hi, Hugh. Firstly, let's talk about the preparation in the Scotland camp. How have things been heading into these two games? Yeah, yeah, pretty upbeat, pretty confident. Uh, it's interesting because Scotland are, like most European nations, are having to adapt to this concept of June football. And uh, frankly, they made a bit of a mess of it last year by losing to Ukraine in the World Cup playoffs and also losing 3-0 in Dublin in the Nations League. And there was a bit of a review after that to, to, to look at what they could be doing better to keep players ticking over between the end of the domestic season and uh, international football. So Steve Clark took them away to Spain last week and uh, no media was allowed to travel to that, unfortunately. But the the view that we've, uh, the feedback we've had was that it, uh, it was a good and positive camp and um, that uh, the players are a pretty good fettle to take on Norway and Georgia over the next few days. Few drinks uh, then, but you know we, we, we call it bonding, shall we? Uh, out in Spain <laughs> for the Scotland camp. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I imagine the mood is pretty positive um, until you maybe look at the Norway team sheet at the weekend and you see a certain Erling Haaland starting up front. Um, what will the plan be? Have they come to some kind of uh, agreement on how you stop Erling Haaland? What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the players that we've spoken to have sounded as, as optimistic and positive as you probably can about dealing with this guy. It's interesting, actually, because I think thoughts in Scotland go back to the last time we were at a World Cup, which was a long time ago, but it was uh, 1998, and we had to contend with Ronaldo at the peak of his powers, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo. And um, the big play that the manager at the time, Craig Brown, made about it was, you know, cutting the supply to Ronaldo. And I think that will be... That will be a heavy emphasis of Steve Clark's game plan and tactics for uh, for Saturday night to try and stop Haaland getting the ball. Now, listen, we all know that's a hell of a lot easier said than done, but that will be the plan. It's interesting, actually, because I don't think Haaland has played for Norway in their last five matches, so you're having to go back to September to scout a Norwegian performance with or sorry, analyse and assess a Norwegian performance with Haaland in it. I spoke to John Carver about that, the, the coach, the other day, and he said, well, listen, we, we do go back. You know, we've looked at them with and without him. And and the other thing that you'll have seen the headlines and the coverage all week of Haaland's kind of endless partying tour since City's treble. <laughs> um, so, so, frankly, we're hoping that he's hung over and uh, <laughs> below par. That would, that, would be, uh, that would be very beneficial for our defenders, I think. What's the mentality going into this. Gregor, maybe I'll ask you, what, what do you think Scotland will feel um, about this this game? They've got a little bit of a cushion, but obviously eight points and winning it would be incredible. Or do you just think, let's keep the five-point gap at least, which makes it a must-not-lose? I think that's going to be there in the back of the mind, absolutely. But after the Spain game, this is a, a group that's, that's uh, full of confidence, absolutely. But you're right, I think a five-point gap is big and you, you would still expect Spain to possibly to top the group and then we're talking about these next two games keeping that gap if we can and Scotland are in a magnificent position the top two go through in the group and we've still got the playoffs after the yeah. Nation League so I think Scotland now are in a place where under Steve Clark they go into all of these games with a game plan that allows them to feel that they can win it it's not, go- it's not about going and parking the bus and thinking we, you know, we're playing for a draw they can play they play a kind of Solid base and a real threat on the counter, and the only my only fear is that you know it's it's the goal scoring. It's, it's been that way for for some time. Probably Lyndon Dykes will have to come in and, and lead the line with Che Adams uh, missing for this one. But I think Scotland will will be confident that they can win this game. Do you see it as a must not lose, Michael? I think if if Scotland were to lose, it would undo a fair bit of the, the, the good work and the impact of beating Spain. I mean, potentially beating Spain is a game changing result in the group because you're probably not expecting to take three points from them either home or away. Um, so to, 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 to get that is, is very significant. And obviously Norway have already lost to Spain. I mean, I, I suppose the old uh, the old truth is that if you take a point away from home against one of your challengers and beat them at home, then you're, you're kind of knocking them out. And I think if Scotland were to get a draw, they would be satisfied with that, given how strong the form has been at Hamden over, over uh, Steve Clark's reign. The danger, of course, is, I mean, you, we, we, you just cannot ignore Haaland and, and what he gives to Norway and, and, the, and the potential for him to be a match winner in Glasgow, let alone in Oslo. But, I, I, you know, you would far, far rather be in Scotland's position than Norway's right now. And um, I, I think a positive result for Scotland would leave Norway in real trouble in the group, given that they would still have to play Spain and come to Hamden. Yeah, yeah. So it's maybe a big, big game for the Norwegians and certainly bigger than it would be for the Scots this weekend. So maybe a little bit of difference in terms of the, the if you like, atmosphere out in Oslo would it, than it would be here. Michael, just quickly, who do you, who do you think will be tasked with playing against uh, Haaland? Because there's no, no Grant Hanley, 
no Scott McKenna, no, Jack Henry's no coming. Yeah, there's no Hanley or McKenna, uh, Gregor. I mean, we're assuming it'll be Ryan Porteous and it'll be Jack Henry and it'll be Kieran Tierney uh, if if he stays with the back three in between Hickey and uh, Robertson as fullback. So all of those three centre-halves, Henry and Tierney, have all played well under Clark individually. And um, I, I, you know, I think there would be a tentative confidence that um, that they could uh, they could try and handle Haaland. But you know, you know, listen. Superior defenders than them have struggled all season, um, so we know how difficult it is. But but Scotland, you know, they do have a defensive unit they can go in with, even without uh, even without Hanley and McKenna. Um, since we've last spoken, Michael, let's turn our attention to club football in Scotland, if you like, or maybe in England a little bit too, because Ange Postecoglou um, has left Celtic. He's come down to Tottenham Hotspur, and you've written, of course, in the Times about kind of who he is as a coach and a man as well. Um, just very quickly on him, what do you expect him to bring to the Premier League and to, and to Spurs? I, I think supporters and, and uh, you know, onlookers in general and the media will enjoy Postacoglu. They'll certainly enjoy his his commitment to the way the way he plays. It's, it's, it's high energy, it's attacking, it's fast, it's relentless. Now that has worked wonders for Celtic in Scotland. Whether it'll have the same impact at a far higher standard in the Premier League is, is, is open to debate. I mean, to be fair to Postacoglu, he is he is kind of consistently answered critics and and addressed sceptics about him in in various countries that he's been to in his career. And and he will he will feel reassured, I think, coming to spot to Spurs that the kind of same criticisms and doubts are being levelled against him because he'll think, well. I've done this before. I, I know how this cycle works. I do think it'll be interesting that he won't really be able to sign players from a market that he knows because that's what he did at Celtic. He signed from Japan and uh, he had players that, that improved them domestically. You know, being realistic, he's not going to be able to sign from Japan and, and Scotland and make Tottenham into a Champions League qualifying club. So that's going to be interesting. But, um, you know, his his record in the market is, has been very strong. So you would have to assume that he would adapt and, and be able to spend successfully at a higher level too. And his replacement at Celtic, which is a big one, could be a huge story if it is Brendan Rodgers to return to the hot seat. Yeah. Um, how, how likely is that at this point? We hear some stories saying it's very close to completion. And... How do you think that would be seen by the Celtic fans? Yeah, the, the second point is really interesting, Hugh, because obviously, you know, you'll remember the vitriolic and pretty poisonous reaction from sections of the Celtic support when, when Rodgers left for Leicester. They, they, they regarded him as doing the dirty on them by leaving midway through the season to go to Leicester. You know, he he played himself up. He sold himself heavily as a Celtic man and Celtic through and through, and that was his club and his dream job and all that. So I, I always suspected he was he was uh, painting himself into a corner there because, you know, there, there was an assumption that he would leave when a decent job comes up. So Celtic fans will have to get their heads around him returning because uh, it does look like that's the the way this story is moving. I, I think they'll, they'll forgive... I mean, you know, victories and success will change the mood and change the temperature around him. Uh, I think there is an, a, an acceptance and a recognition that he is the best manager of the handful of names that have been touted for the job from the beginning. So, really, you would kind of swallow your swallow your pride a little bit, swallow the, the, the criticism, bury the criticism from from four years ago, 
and think this is the guy who'll get us uh, or, or you know continue to keep us winning and and uh, ahead of Rangers. So um, I, I think it's really interesting. You it'll be a, it'll be a fascinating appointment to see how Rogers addresses it and talks about it when he comes back because he will be asked about it. Mm. Full of humility, I'm sure, will be the response from Brendan Rogers. <laughs> uh, Michael Grant, appreciate you joining us on the Game Podcast. No problem, you do. Thank you. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, 2024 qualifiers, um, Wales level on points with Croatia at the top of Group D. They've got Armenia at home. Uh, that's must win for them next. But they have a massive game in Turkey on Monday. So we'll look ahead to that uh, on Monday. Um, Northern Ireland, one win, one defeat after two games in Group H. Uh, they face their toughest game next away in Denmark. They then host Kazakhstan on Monday. So plenty for us to keep an eye out when it comes to international football during this window. Uh, up next... We are going to talk about the transfer window, seeing stories that West Ham have rejected an initial bid for Declan Rice. We'll be asking, what's your dream transfer summer? So the transfer window is now officially open. Manchester United have begun their bid for Mason Mount with a derisory £40 million. That's been flatly rejected. We're hearing news today that West Ham have rejected Arsenal's opening bid for Declan Rice. But do not worry, guys. Because transfer sagas are going to keep us going throughout the summer. Why would you want them wrapped up in two or three days when you can message your mates about whether they'll happen or not for the entire summer? Which is what we're going to do here. Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson, all of us, trying our best to wade through transfer stories throughout the summer. So it's an editor's dream, really, in your position, Tom. It's not an absolute nightmare. The ashes are starting. I don't want to talk about Buddy Declan Rice. I want to get it done. (laughs) That's my only dream. None of this, like, oh, reject, just come on, Arsenal, come back in, another 20 million. First things first, I mean, we spoke about him a little bit earlier on. I know, I know I've got to cut you off, but we're seeing live images of Jude Bellingham's unveiling at Real Madrid. He's, he's got a little press conference there, loads of journalists in the room. They've just held up a Jude Bellingham shirt with a number five on the back. Oh, he's, have you ordered the wrong uh, shirt? Have you ordered the wrong shirt? Is, I was not expecting no, that, shall we you say. interrupting me. <laughs> He's gone Zidane. <laughs> he's got he's, the Zizou he's number. He's gone Zidane. Wow. Okay, anyway, confident. anyway, it's turning into a bit of a Jude Bellingham special. Anyway, that is the big transfer that has already been wrapped up this summer. We're going to see some more. The question is, what's your dream transfer? And if you like, some insight into how the editors are going to feel about it. We're going to be banging our heads on the desk. That's what we're going to be doing, being like, come on, get it over with. As I was just saying, yeah, Arsenal up the bid by 20 million. Let's get De- Declan Rice done. Uh, Harry Kane, I mean, I don't want another... No one wants another Harry Kane saga, do they? I mean, you know, listening to Henry earlier, making a very impassioned argument, and I agree with him, I think it'd be great to see him challenge himself elsewhere, but we don't want a kind of protracted Man United-Tottenham tug-of-war back and forth. What I would like to see, and I'm excited to see, whether there's another Manchester City clear-out of players that you think they're going to keep and that actually they sell and that it would be wonderful to see go to Premier League rivals mm-hmm. just to kind of improve the quality. It'd be nice if they could dish out the likes of Kyle Walker, Merrick Laporte, maybe Gundogan, let him go somewhere else yeah. just for a try. Calvin Phillips, again, Henry mentioned him earlier, resurrect his career I'm, somewhere I'm, I'm, else. I mean, I'm amazed everyone wants Calvin Phillips. You hear so many people saying, I want Calvin Phillips. Got to be Calvin Phillips. I haven't seen him play well for two seasons. No, but, but as in- injury here. In- injury Henry here. Talked about it. You know, he, he has got it in him. It'd be nice to see some of those players go elsewhere in the way that Zinchenko and Jesus did, because mm-hmm. that was a huge part of you know. Essentially, uh, you think about it, yeah. Arsenal challenging City and making it a title race was having those players. So that would be part of my dream: is that 
maybe City would um, look at bringing in players that is part of the story that's developing today about Declan Rice there's some suggestion Gary Jacob writing on the Times at the minute that City are considering entering the race for Rice which is West Ham are sat there going excellent lads come on start the bidding war now but that then begs the question doesn't it for the likes of not just Phillips but maybe Gundogan as well they might think okay I could go somewhere else Gundogan you imagine might go to um, to Spain perhaps but that was what I would like to see I would like to see a, a Merrick Laporte move because I don't think you think he's fallen slightly out of favour at Manchester City he was one of my favourite players of the last few years I think he was very much the slight not the pioneer but he really showed what that kind of left-sided passing centre-back can bring to a team mm. that everyone else has now followed yeah. um, Manchester United in particular with Lissandro Martinez so I would like to see him move away but to a Premier League rival and boost them maybe even Arsenal I think he'd be a great signing for Arsenal to bolster their centre-back area I think you know you could well see him in an Arsenal shirt to be honest maybe someone like Barcelona Mm. to be honest Laporte should move this summer likely to move this summer because I'm sure teams will be in for him and it's one of those if he didn't play for Man City I'd actually like to see him at Manchester United Mm. and I know people will say Martinez you know left-sided more aggressive than Laporte etc etc but He's just such a, a lovely player, Laporte, um, when he's really at it. And he will, I think, uh, be a great addition to any side in the Premier League. Gundogan to Arsenal, I, I think almost should happen. They should be going all out for him because uh, if Granite Xhaka's leaving, who can fill that void better? If Declan Rice goes to Manchester City, for me, that's absolutely brilliant for him and probably the best place that he could go right now. Obviously, just off the back of a treble. But in terms of his football, you know, that John Stones role, where he's going from being a de facto defender into a midfielder into playing, as he said, as a number eight at times. I'm just thinking Declan Rice would be brilliant at that. Mm. So uh, I'd like to see him in a City shirt as well. What do we think of um, Tom Roddy's story today about Kai Havertz and Arsenal? How do we think about feel about Kai Havertz? Because it's a fascinating one for me. Hugely hyped player. Had fits and starts at Chelsea. But the idea, again, is that it fits into that theory of players at City. You may be, you know, we're seeing it more and more. Just get a little move within the same league to another big club and are slightly reborn and re-energised. Could we see it under Arteta? But there's no doubt playing in a team with a clear kind of tactical bl- blueprint like, like Arsenal have would, would help him. But mm. I don't think it's the player Arsenal need. It's like another player off the wing rather than, or like a false nine when what they need is a number nine. So it'd be, you know, I'm sure it'd probably be a better fit actually than, than at Chelsea. Certainly, in his last two seasons. But could he do the Xhaka role? Could he be playing in midfield? Possibly, possibly. Yeah, it's a good shout. Doesn't surprise me that he's left-footed. Arteta coming from the Guardiola mm-hmm. school of he's just he's just that's the first day of recruitment at Arsenal. Probably right. Who are the best available left-footed players? We'll go from there. For me, Havertz. If it wasn't for the Champions League final goal, you'd be calling him one of the biggest flops we've seen. And I, I just don't see it at the moment. He's not a player that I'd be happy if he came to my club, particularly mm. if we're talking £70 million. Clearly, he's got incredible talent. We just don't see it consistently. He's more of a 6 out of 10 most weeks than an 8 or a 9 out of 10. And I think Arsenal need to bring in players, firstly, with great character. And actually, for me, you know, aside from his football, that's kind of, that would be my issue with Kai Havertz mainly. You know, I wouldn't... If, if someone said, who do you think is going to win a 50-50? Anyone in the world versus Kai Havertz. Anyone in the world. 
is for me just not that player. Hasn't got that tenacity. Hasn't got that energy, that drive. And actually, Xhaka, if you you know again remove the footballing talent, but talk about the person and the character, he has all of those things. Mm. Maybe even had them too much at certain points in his career. So what do you want for the Arsenal squad in terms of character? I just you know I can be I'm happy to hold my hands up and say I was wrong about Kai Havertz if they buy him and he brings all of those things. But at this point, I just can't see it. Mm. And moving into the rest of that story that um, Kai Havertz is a part of on the Times website at the minute, Charlotte Dunker reporting Brentford club record offer of thirty million for Brendan Johnson rejected. Obviously, my Lincoln City bias means that I've strong affiliations for Brendan Johnson. Yes, he only spent one season on loan. Listeners, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Though I don't know about you, Gregor, your Forest affiliations. Part of me wants Brendan Johnson to have another season at Forest. Maybe score more goals, get more assists, get bedded in the Premier League and then potentially another 20 million on top of that and maybe go even higher. No respect, disrespect to Brentford. I think he'll feel the same. I think he's got a great affinity. His dad plays for the club. He lives around the corner. And I agree. I think I don't think that's the move, Brentford. I think there are other clubs being late. I think Everton have shown an interest, but whether they've got money to to spend. um, I think that his next move is, is a step up, which Brentford... Like, if we're being honest, it's a great club, but it's not really the step up that you would envisage, I think. Um, and I think it would take more money than that because if you yeah. look at the market, he proved in a, in, a, in a team that wasn't, you know, had a lot of challenges that he's good enough for the Premier League and improved throughout the season as well. So uh, I don't think that's the move for him. Right, One well, I would like to see. Go on. But I would also be loath to see. This is, this is your dream, somebody. I'd move. also be loath to see is Rio Hatati. I'd hate to leave, see him leave Celtic, but I think he. There's a chance he will leave Celtic in, if not this this summer, very soon. And I think he's good enough for the Premier League. I think all the things that Michael Grant was talking about before at Celtic with regards to Postacoglu working in, in a in a market, a transfer market that he knows very well, but it's going to be more difficult for him to do that at Tottenham Hotspur are absolutely true. But I think he's an exception. And I think he would be like a, a brilliant player for any any Premier League team to watch. And look, it, it, might, it might be Spurs has been linked, but it might be a Brighton. But I think he would make an impact. He's really classy. He's so technical. Uh, I think that'd be a good one for the Premier League. Okay. Dream move this summer? I think my, mine, I'm going to go with Laporte. The, the thinking about it. I to think, Arsenal? To Arsenal, yeah. Please. Okay. I'd like that a lot. Mine's Kane to Real Madrid. It not, has not to, to be. Not to Man United. Not to Manchester United <laughs> because, uh, but listen, Bellingham and Kane at Real Madrid. I mean... Sounds uh, like you're switching allegiance, mate. No, because that would reignite our passions, if you like. The Premier League is taken over completely but actually I think so many people would be Sunday night what is it 8 or 9 o'clock kickoff usually in, in La Liga watching a Real Madrid game with those two in to round off the footballing weekend come on guys mm. come on little Bellingham Kane assist and goal ah oh. <laughs> it's a lovely idea it's a lovely idea so if you're not having Kane then who's your one signing for Man United only one my one signing for Manchester United would be Frankie de Jong which I don't think is going to happen it's, it's not, not a striker no, not a striker. I think Manchester United need to play better football. I think everyone, I think the forward line, all of those players who haven't really, who haven't really delivered, if you like, um, I think all of them play better if we play better football. Man United had a goal. What was our goal difference this year? Did it even yeah. get to double figures? Like you, we, we need to control games more, and we need to dominate the ball more, and we need to create more chances. And we, even though we created quite a few, we didn't put them in the back of the net. Fair enough, but I think actually a more dominant style of play and a more controlled, measured pattern of play going forward would see us function better. And actually, I think, you know, people like Martial might score many more goals if we are... Because I think we play, how we currently play is runners from deep, on the break, 
you know, it's a style of football that doesn't exactly, you know, pressurise the opposition. What we need to do is kind of keep our, our foot on the gas in most games. And um, someone like De Jong conducting the orchestra would be the, the biggest start for me. To be fair, that's why I said Valt Vekos didn't get the goals he deserved because he didn't have Frankie De Jong. <laughs> <laughs> you were very fortunate we didn't get, didn't get to clip up some of the predictions you made, by listen, the way, this year. Listen. The one in January, they would be the signing of the January transfer. a great goal. impact. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you've managed to bring it up now, anyway, so there <laughs> yeah. you go. Um, listen, there's going to be a summer full of ridiculous transfers this year. Will it break the amount of money that we've seen spent last year? In my opinion, starting off with Bellingham, over £100 million, the likes of Declan Rice to move, Mason Mount, uh, who knows, Harry Kane, Victor Osserman, you know, there's going to be big, big money spent by Premier League clubs in, and, and, in this window. And Chelsea having to shed a lot of few as well. Yeah. You know, it's not all about their spending, which there will be, they will have to shed some, you know, a considerable number of players from their squad. This morning, just finally to end on the podcast, the first weekend, if you like, all the fixtures are out, but um, the first weekend of the Premier League season, all of the fixtures announced, but it will see Vincent Company take on Manchester City. The story writers of the Premier League were on it straight from the off. I think one of the big ones on the opening weekend is going to be Chelsea against Liverpool, obviously. And other than that, Newcastle United against Aston Villa. And, and I, I, I want to be grumpy about these. Shocking. I know. But I hate seeing huge fixtures on the opening weekend. They're all huge fixtures. No, 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 no. They're all huge. Listen, they some, okay, some fixtures are more huge than others. <laughs> okay, and, and a game like Chelsea against Liverpool off the back of... Two mid-table sides. A pre-season, <laughs> a, a pre-season tour in the States or wherever where, let's be honest, the Chelsea squad's still going to be all over the place. They're not going to have signed the players that they want, nor will they have sold the players they want because everyone's going to look for a bargain at Chelsea. Tough. They'll probably have 45 players at that point. Now, all I'm saying is, from my perspective as a football fan, what I want them to be is those two sides purring at it as they go into a huge game at Stamford Bridge, make it deep in November, whatever it is. But first game of the season, you know, it's just a waste. That's no, all I'm going to say. Not, don't, don't agree. Don't agree. Let's have a holiday first, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> We've got one more show left. <laughs> one more show. One, one more, more show. show. Okay, one more show in which we will react to uh, England's game against Malta, the big one. That will come on Tuesday for you as we react to all of the games coming up in Euro 2024 qualifying. So set your alarms. Okay, Tuesday morning we'll be with you for the next episode of the Game Podcast. Gentlemen, thanks for being with me. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you check out uh, the Times this weekend and all of the great writing around the Euro 2024 qualifiers. We'll be back with you very shortly. See you soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.